Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk Podcast. This is episode number seven. We got recaps on recaps this week. Uh, we have the the a big weekly news recap. There was actually, unlike last week when there was hardly any news, there was a metric crapload of reselling news this week. So we'll go over all that. We'll of course have our big weekly Galaxy CDs Rocks business recap, which has some interesting tidbits in it this week as well. Uh, we'll have the resurrection of the what was formerly the Tuesday Two Minute Tips video, which if you watched my video on Wednesday, um, I uh, did a mercy killing <laughs> uh, of that particular video segment. It uh, wasn't really getting much traction, so I've, I eliminated that, but I did get some feedback that people were getting some value out of the information that was in those. So I'm going to reincarnate that in uh, kind of integrated into this podcast as just a quick reseller tip. So we'll be doing that. Uh, but we are going to kick it off with some viewer questions. Um, my, my episode last week about accounting actually uh, elicited a lot of responses, which varied from... After watching this, I realize I'm not doing nearly enough bookkeeping and accounting to at the other extreme, man, you are spending way too much time on your accounting. <laughs> uh, and to be fair, it sounds like a lot. What I went over last week sounds like an enormous amount of work, but like many things, when you come up with a system and get into a routine, I think you'll find that it doesn't really take all that long. I probably spend on average man, maybe 10 to 15 minutes a day tops doing the data entry required to keep my books up to date on a daily basis. So I'm not, like I said, in the, in the podcast, it sounded like hours and hours of work. Um, and the initial, you know, getting it all set up the way I wanted it to did was an investment of time and effort, but the ongoing input of the data and the accounting is really not all that bad. So, and like a lot of things from inventory control to the organization of your stock, uh, that investment of time and effort up front pays huge dividends on the back end um, in terms of time saving, efficiency, uh, even money being made or saved. So, I, th I think it's well worth the investment to get it set up in some form or other. Um, and take the time to, to do something with it. Now, like I said, when I started doing these videos and podcasts months ago, I'm not here to try to tell anybody, you know, what is the right way to run your business or how you should do things. Um, my whole goal is to just kind of share what I'm doing, why I think it's important and the mechanics of what it is I'm doing. And you can be the judge of whether that applies to your business in any way that makes sense or whether it's something that that doesn't apply to you or just doesn't make sense. Or if you think I'm just half cocked and insane. <laughs> so whatever the case is, um, this is not meant to be, you know, the be all end all. My God, there's thousands of other YouTube channels and podcasts that you can get advice and information from. So I'm just, a, you know, a echo in the wind as it were, but I, that's why I'm here to just share my experiences and you can do with that what you may. So having said that, I'm going to tell you what you should do with your business and answer some user questions. <laughs> uh, I did get a few really interesting questions, primarily pertaining to media this week. Um, one of them was, um, do I use a particular tool for cleaning 
media. And I am essentially using a eyeglass cleaner and the little microfiber towel, cloth, whatever that comes with that kind of kit. If there's something particularly sticky on a CD, um, I might break out some window cleaner and clean it with that real quick. Uh, but I'm not using a special, you know, CD cleaning kit. I know there's a ton of them out there and I've used them in the past and they're, they're good, but I don't think there's anything, you know, particularly special about them. So anything like that will work. Um, you can, you can certainly buy one of those kits, but if you've got glasses cleaner or, you know, Windex or any other glass cleaner laying around and a nice dry lint-free cloth, that will work just fine. The thing you want to avoid is anything abrasive, obviously, because you don't want to scratch the disc at all. To that point, I'm not currently doing any resurfacing or buffing of discs. I don't own anything like the JFJ Easy Pro. Um, Part-time Flipper just did a really good video on his use of that item. And I am still kind of on the fence about it. And the, the reason I haven't bought it is essentially at this point, there is so much media available out there that is already in anywhere from good to like new condition that I haven't felt like I've been forced to resort to buying items that are in pretty bad shape. Now in his video, he was talking about a copy of NCAA football 14, which is an extremely valuable piece of media. And he had found it loose, which will be the next question that we get to. Um, and it was worth cleaning up and he'll probably theoretically, he might get enough from that one sale to pay for that machine. So if you can find something like that, it may make total sense, but the amount of media that's already out there for literally pennies on the dollar, it's hard for me and again, like I said, I'm on the fence, but it's hard for me to justify $150 or $200 expense on a piece of equipment and then the time and the effort involved to resurface a bunch of subpar physical media when there's already so much media out there that's in condition that doesn't require that kind of work. So uh, let me know in comments or reach out to me by email or at galaxycdsrocks.com on the message boards. And let me know if you have one of those resurfacers and what your experience has been with it. Um, do you find it helpful? Does it work as advertised time in and time out? Do you feel like you've recouped your investment? I'm Like I said, I am still considering it, um, but I've got thousands <laughs> of CDs currently in my garage that don't need that device. So the thought of buying a bunch of, of media that does just so I can save some money. Uh, I don't know that it makes sense for me at this time. One of the other questions that came up was, what do I do about loose media? And kind of along the same line, generally speaking, I just don't buy it. Again, an outlayer product like the NCAA Football 14, which is super, super valuable, I would totally pick that up, loose. But a box of loose CDs or a binder full of them, uh, boxes of loose 45s that aren't in sleeves, that kind of stuff. I just avoid for kind of the exact same reason. There is so much media available to me in this area, at least, that is complete with all the cases and artwork that taking a chance on a bunch of loose media, which is already significantly devalued because it's not complete. You know, a collector, they don't want just the disc. Now, you may get the one-off guy that's already got a case and art and he lost the disc. So you, there is some potential 
to sell some stuff there. But by and large, they're so significantly devalued without the rest of the stuff that I just, for my business model, it doesn't make sense to look at them. If I had a bunch of them, if I owned a bunch of my own that I was just trying to get rid of, or you're in that situation, or you know somebody gives you a big stack of loose items and they're in decent condition and don't require resurfacing and all the rest of that, you might look at them and see, is there anything in that bunch that is worth anything by itself? And other than that, probably the best way to move those, in my opinion, is going to be to lot them up by artist or genre or something like that and try to move them that way. Because individually, you see them all the time. They're selling for less than what it's going to cost you to ship them. Um, I just, like I said, I try to avoid them as a general rule. Uh, Another question that came up, I talked last week about how many listings I had done. And obviously we'll get into that this week in my weekly recap as well. And someone asked how I get that many done. And it's, it's twofold, really. First off, I have a goal and I keep track of how I'm doing. I did a whole video on goals and goal setting and holding yourself accountable to the goals. So that's kind of the first piece of that. Um, I have a goal each week. Prior to buying that big lot of CDs, it was 130 listings a week. Now that I have those, it's closer to 200 a week. And I hold myself accountable to that. I've got a little calendar and I, like I showed in that previous video, I do the little hash marks and I keep track of how I'm progressing towards that number. So that's the first thing. The second thing is most of what I'm listing is media, which is fairly easy to list. It's, um, scan a barcode, look for the comp, list it. It's pretty straightforward. I can do 25 CDs probably in a little over an hour. Uh, so getting to, you know, the 40 or 50 items a day that I need to, to get to 200 is not really that big of a challenge as long as I stay on task. So, uh, that's kind of where that's at. And, uh, with that, let's move into, how about we do, I can't get anything to work here. Let's do the news. news. Man, that was butchered. (laughs) Uh, I try to do these without editing them. And so you see all of the warts um, as I learn this process. I'm doing all this. Um, I picked up a Rodecaster Pro. I don't know, a couple of months ago, and I'm still kind of learning my way around it. Uh, It's a tremendous device. If you're doing podcasting or recording videos and you want to do some some really good stuff and have these little sound effects and that, it's awesome for that. But the learning curve of mastering all the stuff that it can do, uh, obviously, uh, every now and then, uh, there's a few rough edges around what I'm doing. So uh, thanks for hanging in there. So let's get into some of the news. Um, One of the first things that has popped up and there are several different offers out there right now um, for credit cards from either PayPal or eBay that have some some pretty good cashback offers associated with them. Um, eBay is doing like a 30-day welcome bonus. If you spend a certain amount, you'll get a, a statement credit of up to $150, which is really, really attractive. Uh, PayPal has something similar going on, and they're always doing cashback Um, with their debit cards, not making recommendations one way or the other on whether you need a credit card or not. I'm, I've got other 
credit cards that are already paying me cash back on stuff. So I'm not taking advantage of either of those offers, but those are out there. The eBay card offer, I think, is good only through next week, through like the 21st, so maybe next Friday. So if you're inclined, it's probably popped up on your eBay homepage already. But if you're inclined to to need a credit card for maybe some extra cash flow heading into fourth quarter, uh, that might not be a bad option for you. eBay this week also announced um, what they're doing to respond to the ongoing drama with the United States Postal Service and the various delays. Um Again, for my own part, I've really I've I've got one item right now that's missing, and it's been missing for a while. I assume it's not going to be found, and I'm going to be doing a refund on Monday. Uh, but by and large, I'm not experiencing huge delays, but I know people clearly are. Particularly, seems like anything in particular that's going through either Michigan, Pennsylvania, or Iowa. If it's going through one of those three states in its route, um, it's probably going to experience some delays. Uh, Those three states, for some reason, are really, really struggling. I hear from people all the time on the various message boards that that's a real issue. eBay uh, is trying to help us out. They've extended handling time. They have extended um, seller protections against shipping defects um, and against item not received cases. I'm seeing people complain that despite eBay announcing all of this, on any individual case, they are not necessarily following through. So, you know, keep all that in mind. I'm, I'm trying to work with anybody who complains about a shipping delay, but it's, you know, to a greater or lesser extent, it's out of our hands. You know, we are technically responsible until the item reaches the customer for the item. But once it's in UPS's hands, your hands are kind of tied. There's only so much you can do. Generally, what I do the first time somebody raises an issue, I submit a, a missing mail request form with USPS. And probably 95% of the time, within a couple of days, suddenly that item has a, a new scan and is on its way and it arrives in fairly short order where it's going. Like I said, I've got the one item that's missing. It's been missing from my local post office. It had its acceptance scan and it was never scanned after that. So I have no idea what happened to it. It never got to a processing center. I'm assuming it's it's gone, but you know, one out of 350 a month, not not too hateful. I'll I'll take that. So, but eBay did announce that they are attempting to work with sellers to protect their ratings um, and their feedback in the case of USPS delays. In non-eBay news, uh, Mercari, which I, I'd be curious how many people know or knew that this is actually a Japanese company. Um, They're trying to expand their market, especially here in the U.S. Um, They're really looking for casual resellers. Their policy for years has been that they don't want professional resellers. They want the guy who legitimately has just one or two items that they're trying to get rid of. They're they're not super reseller friendly, but I know a lot of us are selling on that platform. They're, They're an interesting case because they've got 45 million downloads. So there's a lot of people using the app. The volume of their business has increased significantly. Um, Their year-over-year growth was 183%, which is a huge number. That's a big increase. They're doing a lot of gross merchandise volume, 
over $100 million just in the last few months. So they're moving a lot of merchandise, but they are losing money hand over fist. Um, Their operating losses have actually grown to $180 million this year, which was far worse than last year's $110 million loss on significantly less volume. That's not necessarily indicative of a business that's in trouble. Amazon bled cash for years and years and years as they attempted to grow their infrastructure, both in terms of their internet, their online architecture, and their physical presence, their warehouses and their distribution network. Mercari isn't really doing warehouses and distribution. That's not their business model. So they're not spending money there. They're essentially spending money on you know, what little bit of infrastructure change they're doing within their app and advertising. And as their business increases, their losses have increased, which is not a necessarily really encouraging sign. So they're going to be a really interesting one to watch over the coming months to see, number one, if if this business trend continues with online selling being just over the moon in terms of numbers, and if they're able to reverse their trend of losing more money on more sales, they've got to get that turned around or they're going to be in some significant trouble. Speaking of Amazon, they had a couple of things going on this week. They are apparently are in negotiations with mall ownership at malls throughout the United States to take over abandoned storefronts of old Sears and JC Penney locations to use as kind of distribution centers. Um, rumor is they're, they're in talks with the Simon property group who I actually rented from and, uh, and they were, they were not real pleasant to deal with. <laughs> uh, but that aside, uh, they're negotiating with them to have access to that space Ideally, obviously, for the items that they sell the most frequently, they'd like to get those as close to end destinations as possible. So having those locations in malls close to urban or suburban population centers would make sense. It'll cut down the distance that they need to deliver, obviously helping improve their delivery speed and time. So it it makes some sense that they're looking at that. And the mall, I mean, they got all these big open spaces and there's nothing. There are no retailers chomping at the bit to go into those spaces. Um, Malls are, if not dead, they are certainly dying and have been for a long time. This is not probably the savior for malls. It's, you know, it'll give them a short-term infusion of some cash, get them some tenants, probably at significantly reduced rates. Um, to what they could get from a retailer because Amazon is simply going to use it as warehouse space. So I'm not sure this is the the answer necessarily for mall owners, uh, but it will certainly be helpful. I don't think it does anything to improve the business of any other stores that are hanging on at a mall or necessarily even the mall food court. I don't know that it's a big help there because it's a highly automated service in their warehouses and distribution centers. So there's not a lot of folks, whereas a retail store has a fairly significant number of employees. So I, I don't, I don't know that this is a, a big deal necessarily for the malls, but every little bit helps. The other thing that happened several years ago, Amazon made a big play and for people to open businesses as 
Amazon Amazon delivery services. So for you know, I think the play was for as little as ten thousand dollars, you could open a business and grow a fleet of Amazon delivery vehicles. And with a a fairly modest number of vehicles and amount of business, you could expect to generate two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars a year. And it all sounded great, but now the shoe is dropping. There are a ton of those businesses that have been formed over the years that are not meeting Amazon's probably fairly strict metrics for performance. And this week they whacked a whole bunch of them. Uh, It's going to lead to something between 1,200 and 1,300 layoffs. You've got probably tons of small business owners who invested heavily in not only signing up for this program, but investing in vehicles and obviously personnel. And all of that is going to fall by the wayside. Obviously, it's hard to say whether Amazon's metrics are particularly harsh or if they're using it to target areas where they feel they can be more effective if they do that themselves rather than contract that out. But that that's the downside to hitching your wagon as a small business to a big company who you know dangles that carrot of potential big money but behind their back they also have the big stick that if you don't meet certain criteria you're out so we'll have to see see how that goes um as we go forward there's a ton of those businesses out there but a bunch of them just took a big whacking which is interesting given what we talked about earlier with all the problems with USPS, you would think those delivery services would be particularly valuable right now. Um, but there's, there's thousands of layoffs coming because of all of that. So with that, we're going to take a quick break to uh, talk about my sponsors. So first, I want to thank the, my ind- one individual donor, uh, Timmy P who contributed to the channel. Timmy, again, thank you so much. I appreciate the contribution. If you would like to contribute to the channel. Uh, There's a link to a PayPal donation link where you could go and just give whatever amount would be helpful. If you're on Anchor, there's a sponsorship button there as well. Or in the description or the show notes, there's also a link to my Teespring store where there's all kinds of rad merchandise from hoodies to t-shirts to mugs and more. Feel free, go check that out, Uh, buy something, make Teespring a few bucks, make me a few bucks so I can continue to do these videos and pay for all this equipment that I bought to shoot all this stuff. (laughs) With that, we're going to take a a quick break to hear from me talking about my good friends over at Anchor, and we'll be right back. Do you recognize that music from the Tuesday 2-Minute Tips? Yes, it's back, but now it is just a quick reselling tip. They'll probably still be about two minutes long, but... uh, in a new format and we're going to squeeze them hopefully just into this podcast. So today I just want to talk a little bit about maybe making your life, especially as a new reseller, a little bit easier by choosing a niche when you first get started. Obviously mine, if you've been following along, is media, books, music, movies, occasionally video games. It's an area that I already knew and knew pretty well. I had some experience in running a business in, so it was a perfect fit for me. Ideally, you will do something similar, whether it's something you already know about or a hobby that you have or just something that you decide that you want to do and you research, be it clothing, shoes, hats, small electronics, whatever it is. The advantage to picking just one small niche to get started is that you can become an expert in that. 
It can help you in your sourcing. It can help you in your listing. It can help you in knowing what supplies you do or don't need in order to be able to ship that merchandise effectively and allows you to quickly become more efficient and more profitable. It then also gives you a base of business that you can then begin to grow off of. You're not trying to learn 25 different product categories all at the same time. You're not looking up hundreds of items when you're out at the yard sales, tying up time and effort that could be better spent focusing on just one item. So as you're getting ready to start your business or looking for a way maybe to maximize your opportunities, try to focus on one niche. I do recommend that it's something that you're interested in or passionate about because that'll help you stay focused and interested and allow your learning curve to be a little more natural and a little smoother. Um, But it's a hugely advantageous route to take, especially when you're just getting started. So that's the quick reselling tip for the week. I hope you found that somewhat helpful. Um, And with that, we will get into, see, I'm fumbling again because I know I'm on the wrong screen. Yes, there we go. Weekly recap time. Man, it was uh, it was another good week here at the Galaxy. I did not, let me rephrase this. I didn't intentionally do any sourcing. So at the time of recording, someone just reached out to me, a friend of mine who does records. Um, he, he sells, buys and sells records. And he's in a similar situation to the record store that I bought out. He's doing a buy today. And included in the buy is 250 CDs and he doesn't want them. He doesn't want to mess with them. So he called me. I'm going to go take a look at them probably tomorrow and see if there's anything there I want. I need another 250 CDs. Like I need a hole in my head, but when opportunity knocks, you should answer. So other than that, I didn't do any sourcing this week. I really thought about going out on Saturday and doing some sourcing and just seeing what was out there and just getting out of the house for the day. And then I walked into my garage (laughs) and I saw 7,500 CDs and probably 2000 books. And I got some other odds and ends laying around here. And I was like, you know, spending more money on more stuff right now, just probably isn't the best use of my time or my money. So I decided to work on some listings and that was probably helpful uh, for the week. I did 250 listings, so that was really, really good for the last three weeks now. I've done 220, 210, and 250, so I'm really excited about that. That takes me to just short of 4,700 current active listings. I used to do my my listing goals based on dollar amount, and then I got really, really heavy into the bulk buys of media, and I'm doing a lot of lower dollar volume stuff, so the dollar amount is not really as crucial right now as just a, a physical count of stuff when you've got you know seven, eight, nine thousand items to get listed. It's probably more important to kind of track that number than the actual dollar amount. So that's kind of what I'm working on each week. Like I said earlier in the podcast, kind of my goal is a couple hundred listings minimum a week. This week I was at 250, so we'll call that a win. I don't know that I have a cap that I'm trying to get to, especially with the changes in the store program. Now that I've got what works out to 50,000 free listings as a premium store owner in the media category, I don't really have to think about limiting my ceiling in terms of listings. I think at 7,000, somewhere between six and 8,000 active listings 
is probably where I have the best shot to start making the kind of income that I want to make on a regular basis. I think that'll give me enough of a base because my average ticket is only about 15 bucks. So I'm not doing necessarily huge individual scores. So I need lots and lots of volume. And right now, like I've talked about in previous podcasts and video, I'm doing an average probably of 12 to 15 transactions a day to get where I want to be. I probably need to get that closer to 20 to 25. And there's essentially two routes to get that better merchandise or more of it or some combination thereof. I think I've got the stuff in my garage (laughs) to tackle both of those things. I've just got to get them listed. So 200 a week is my number 250 this week. I feel pretty strongly about let's talk about the sales. I got my handy little sheet here. Um, Again, the advantage to having the accounting program and doing that data entry every week. Gross sales for the week, another really strong week, 138707. I had a couple of really strong days that gave me a big boost last Sunday. Two Sundays ago, I mentioned, was just god-awful. It was terrible. This past Sunday was like 200 bucks. So, I mean, it was really good. I got my week off to a great start, and it just kind of held serve throughout the week. Um, Real close to a $200 a day average, which is, I will take that all the time. Uh, Cost of goods sold was $53.83. So my gross profit, the percentage again was 96.12. So well in range of uh, what it's been the last few weeks. Total profit was $13.33.24. So pretty nice. Operating expenses for the week. For the first time in a month, I had nothing out of the ordinary. So I had PayPal fees and shipping charges. So my total operating expenses were only $432.71, leaving me with a net profit of 64.92%. That is a sweet number. (laughs) Uh, The dollar amount, $900.53. That would really be kind of an ideal target number. If I if my net profit before taxes was at 900 bucks a week, I'd be I'd be pretty happy with that. So that's that's kind of where uh that's kind of where the week was. Uh hopefully you also had a strong week. Um lots of people gearing up for uh Q4, the Pure Hustle podcast guys were talking about that. Interestingly, they also spent uh, almost a whole segment this week talking about accounting. <laughs> Uh, and accounting practices. So that was really interesting that in the same week I talked about it, uh, they were on that train as well, talking about the importance of it. So it's not just me, guys. It is a, it's a thing. It's real. <laughs> um, but hopefully your, your week was strong. You're off to a good start. And uh, that means it's time to go. I appreciate you all stopping by. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast, and we will see you next week.